Big Finish for the love of stories. You're listening to the Big Finish podcast. Release date Sunday, the 26th of February, 2023. We're in a simple holding pattern round the vortex. <laughs> giving the interstitial dimension buffers a thorough workout. We're swirling round some kind of vortex. Oh, we're perfectly safe. No danger, no drama. Oh! Oh! <laughs> Lovely to have you with us. I'm Benji Clifford. He's Nick Briggs. This is Big Finish. Audiobooks, audio drama and this podcast. All for the love of stories. In a moment, Benji and I will be discussing some burning topic of the moment or other. That's my burning sound. Uh, following that, the Good Review Guide, known to some as the Good Review Guy, oh, reviews oh. the reviews of Survivors New Dawn 2, continuing the trials and tribulations of post-pandemic Britain in a faithful reimagining of Terry Nation's 1975 classic TV series. There's a new age coming. A new world. Then we go behind the scenes with the Fourth Doctor Adventures, New Frontiers, and a monsterlicious opening adventure by Guy Adams entitled Ice Heist, released this Thursday, the 2nd of March. I'm Neris Hughes, and I play Margaret, the sculptress. Very good. Following that, it'll be time for listeners' emails sent to podcast at bigfinish.com. Outstanding electronic mail action. Oh, it was electronic. Uh, after a quick preview of the audiobook Enter Wild Time with Katie Manning as narrator and giving voice to Paul Mars's transdimensional bringer of mayhem, Iris Wildtime, in our also available segment this week, we go behind the scenes courtesy of Vortex magazine editor Kenny Smith with the fifth Doctor adventure Lou Garou, released way back in May 2001. Hello, I'm, I'm Mark Platt and I wrote Lou Garou. Then the randomoids electrotron will once again be delivering a random release with a 25% discount deftly attached to it by Big Finish content manager Jackie Emery. Hooray Here's, for Jackie. Hooray for Jackie. Here's a fantastic flash forward to give you a clue. Look, it's Earth. And finally, as always, we round off the podcast with a free 15-minute drama tease. And this week, it's Antilia the Lost by Phil Mulrine, part of this week's fourth Doctor release, New Frontiers, out on Thursday the 2nd of March. What's it doing in a forest? Well, the trees can hardly run without power now, can they? The trees? I went a bit into a Dalek there. <laughs> Thursday the 2nd of March! Take off his coat. Ah, ah. <laughs> Rebels of London. <laughs> Leave your hiding places. Um, ah, um, so, Helvetica Neue. <laughs> Never going to call it that, ever. Fonts. I ever. discovered this morning that Helvetica Neue, or Helvetica New, as most people say it, that, that lovely... The, in fact, the font that this very script is written in, Benji. It's a real font, a real font. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Um, yeah, th- that's how it's actually pronounced. Do you know supposed was, to be pronounced? I will never call it that. It's Helvetica. Um, do you know when I was at university? And it's Helvetica, but the T is not a tica. T, but you stress the V. Helvetica. 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 Noia. It sounds like a sort of strange, sort of magical spell, doesn't it? Helvetica Noia. Maybe um, Cat Weasel said it. Helvetica Noia. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I mean, Shall me, tell me, Adonai. 
Helvetica. Um, it sounds like, you know, like the, the villain in uh, The Tomorrow People is, um, is it Jekaya? Jedekiah. Havitika. Jedekiah. Jedekiah. Very, um, very low voice he had in the ears. And by the way, I, I did read this to Benji earlier, but I told uh, our producer, Heather Challens, uh, about the Helvetica, Helvetica Neuer thing. And she said, the person I was before this knowledge will soon become a distant memory. She was a fool. <laughs> <laughs> Which did make me laugh. So he's very funny. We've got, got to get her on the podcast again, haven't we? Yeah. Just, yeah, just, she'd hate that. Um, <laughs> I think I I would feel like a fool if I turned up and said, oh, yes, uh, can I have this? Like, I don't know why I'm doing it like you walk into a restaurant, but can I have this in Helvetica, please? <laughs> uh, Neuer, please. Uh, Helvetica is a great font. When I was at university, actually, they were like, if you want to look the business, do your stuff in Helvetica. Um, well, I saw you tweeting about Ariel. Well, some people used to call it Ariel as well. You Ariel, see. Ariel. I call it Ariel, but um, everyone else. Yeah, it's it a boring. That's, that's even though it's, it's it essentially looks very similar. It just doesn't have the same vibes. Well, the Neuer thing, it's it's uh, it's narrower, isn't it? That's what's so good slightly. about it. It's just yeah. You I think it that? helps that it's the font that's used on everything. You know, is it though? Well, it is really. If anything says like danger, warning, everything is 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 Helvetica. Is it really? Um, interesting Helvetica enough, Neuer or just Helvetica? There are a lot of different Helveticas, Nick. Well, that's my point, Benji. Yeah, well, 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 I mean, who knows? I know that there is there's a great... There's actually, you know, the road signs? That is an actual yes. font called Transport that was made. And it was made for the purpose of being able to see it and recognise it when you're driving. So it was designed to, to be as easily recognisable as possible. Mm. I think I did know that from the last time you told me. Most probably. <laughs> Interestingly enough, I actually send off my invoices uh, using the British Rail font. Do you? For no reason other than I just it looks it looks fantastic. Thank you, thank you. Um, oh, that's rather good, isn't it? I tell you something else about Helvetica Neuer. Um, I'm going to say that people, you know, you imagine at meetings, you say that people say, "Sorry, do you need a glass of water?" After you've said Helvetica Neuer, oh, you must um, be Swedish. Yeah, um, yeah, um, or Swiss. I think it's Swiss, isn't it? Is it Swiss? I think the inventor of the font is Swiss. I, I could be wrong. Write in and correct me. By the way, in case anyone thinks I'm being serious about font names, I'm just having a laugh. Just thought I'd mention that. Just yeah, he's, he's being a bit Comic Sans. Yeah. <laughs> hey, See that's what I did really there? good. That's really good. Thank you very good. much. Thank you. That is the best thing you've ever said in the last five <laughs> minutes. Um <laughs> Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, traditionally, Big Finish scripts, as you will know, Benji, what font are they normally in? What, the scripts? They're in Helvetica. No, they're not. They're oh, in, no, they're in uh, Courier. They're in Courier. Courier Prime, I think, is the, no. the one well, that Ken just, uses, but um, oh, well, it's, it's just Courier. 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 It's just Courier. Just, Courier. You know, just, it varies, just, though. There, have been, there are different well, types. Well, some people use Courier New, which I just think is the work of the devil. It's kind of spindly. Mean, it's like Courier, but with... Courier Neuer. <laughs> no, it's actually new, N-E-W. Yeah. <laughs> Courier Annoying, that's what I like to call it. <laughs> but I have now, anything that I'm directing, I just changed the font to Helvetica Neuer. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, it's I think a, it just a... looks better, and I think people have less trouble reading it. I think Courier, we went for Courier because we thought everyone's got Courier, and it's just, and it looks like a typewritten script, which is, which is all the TV scripts for TV series are all in that as well. But I think it's time to 
to do the Helvetica Neue for all scripts. Really? You're going you're gonna to go... The only problem with Helvetica... Um, what? Is, I don't understand is, what you mean. Is that not all Windows computers have it? It's uh, Macs tend to come with it, but Windows yeah. don't. Well, yeah, that makes me like it even more. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I'll tell you, there is a good font, actually. Is um, yeah. The BBC's new font, I think it's called Wraith... Sans, oh. how is it? It's R-E-I-T-S. I like aerial rounded MT bold. Well, that's just 80s Doctor Who, isn't it? Yeah. It's a very 80s Doctor Who font. Yeah, Wraith nice. Sands, I think it's called. Um, the BBC font that they've had commissioned and made, which is now the BBC font, is right. a that is a gorgeously lovely font, and I really enjoy that one, actually. Beautiful. I don't like Calibri. Is it Calibri? Calibri? Yes, yeah. I don't Calibri. like that. It's That's the one that, that's like... That's the sort of default font, that when, when a computer doesn't understand what the font is, it will put things in Calibri, won't it? And it's too friendly, you know? Sounds like, like a character in the arc in space. Calibri. Calibra. Calibra. It's, you know, I like my fonts. Fonts have different purposes, you know. It's like like Comic Sans is, is the kind of, you know, uh, I'm at primary school, you know. Helvetica is like, this is business, you know, this is straightforward. You know, it's like... It's, hmm. it's not uh, too threatening, but it's sort of serious. It's informative because it? yeah. it is the thing that when there are signs out there that say, you know, danger, uh, warning, uh, you know, all those types of... All those types of things are... Helvetica Bold is a great one. Um, You're listening to Nick and Benji talk fonts. Carry on. Helvetica Benji. 65 Medium. Um, Helvetica 65 Medium is a, is, 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 is a great one. Um, I, I use that aerial rounded uh, MT Bold in pink, very large, on my screen if I know I'm going to have a meeting with someone really annoying. And I put calm. a big... I put... Yeah, I say... I put a big thing saying... Don't get cross. <laughs> <laughs> so the, all the whole time I'm talking to them, I keep seeing this pink, soothing lettering telling me not to get cross. Don't be cross. It mostly Don't works. Do you burn? <laughs> do you burn like lovely, lovely oils and <laughs> play, and, think, and, and have a little water fountain in the corner and a little <laughs> man playing pan pipes? Go to the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be calm. <laughs> Pee in your pants. Um, <laughs> Thank you. What a lovely thought. I'd just like to mention, uh, for no reason whatsoever, someone we were talking about before the podcast, Spencer Banks. Oh, Spencer, what a Would lovely man. Would you like man. to explain who he is for people who don't know who yes, Spencer Yes, well, Banks. Spencer was in Time Slip, which is a uh, 1960s children's television well, series. Well, 1970 it was brought Is it 1970? But it filmed 1969, and mm. it looks like it's from 1969. So. It does. But... Um, Fantastic science fiction series, um, which is, I'll tell you what, what is wonderful about it, is that it actually opens up with this fantastic, credible statement from a newsreader at the time who Nick Peter Fairley, he was the science Peter. correspondent of for ITN, yeah. And he, you know, bear in mind that this is a scientists have been thinking about time travel. <laughs> <laughs> but it, was, it, it basically starts out by being like, you know, this is something that we're we're looking at and this is interesting and immediately you take it seriously but spencer was in it um as a young boy yeah in this and uh and i i got to meet him uh this uh well yeah it is this week isn't it yeah i've lost track of what day it is it's friday at some him, point recently at some point i got to meet him <laughs> on tuesday and wednesday um but what a what a lovely man just had such a nice time and lovely oh. conversations with him and you know i just think it's so nice when you meet people who it's kind of weird in this world because you know it often happens at big finishes because we deal with 
cult television quite a lot of the time is that you'll be familiar with people's work and never meet them uh, so when you do it's just so lovely when people turn out to be such wonderful people and I just just thought what a lovely man I went away and I felt happy you know you feel like, oh what a lovely guy yeah brilliant so, uh, and I, you know, I, I've I've met him before, and we're talking about him because he indicated to you that he does listen to the Big Finish podcast. So I thought it'd be nice to give him a shout out. Absolutely. Um, you know, because um, when he started doing Timeslip for us, because we're obviously we're doing a plug here for the fact that we do do audio drama of Timeslip based Absolutely, on the, yeah. the the old series. And when he did his first recording, I was so, I really wanted to come in and see him, and uh, and I was delayed by various things. So David Richardson and I, the producer were texting each other and he said well Spencer's going to be finished and I was like oh well, could you tell him that I'd like to say hi and and Spencer bless him did hang on for me and we oh. had a really lovely chat when I when I got there so thanks Spencer and thanks for all the brilliant work you do for us and thank you for time slip and tightrope as well I love tightrope yes yeah oh. you, you really love tightrope didn't I you I really love tightrope I remember I, I remember it that. again yeah. recently I've, I've watched it about three times again and I never tire of it it's got the you know um, the guy from Coronation Street. Oh, um, I say, I say him. Fred Elliott. Fred uh, yes, that actor. <laughs> um, oh, well, I can picture his name in my head now. He's he's literally a living le- legend. As he's well. brilliant. I tell you what, I know John Savadon. John Savadon, yeah, the man who was yeah. in everything. Yeah, um, amazing in big movies and stuff. He's and in Battle he's of Britain, actually, wasn't he? The, the film, yeah, not the actual Battle of Britain. Um, you know. <laughs> Well, but, he might um, have been. I don't know. He was born in 1938. Although the character says here is born in 38. What about the actor? Who knows? But yes, I mean, what a legend. Yeah. Yes. I'd like, and I'd anyway, like to meet him brilliant. one day. He seems like it, a, a great guy. He's a great anecdote. Uh, I think he out-anecdoted uh, Colin Baker when we did um, a, a Dalek story with him in. Oh, it's the one with the, the Dalek that's made out of sort of stained glass. What's that called? Oh, um, bu- 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 I I'm gonna see. Have to I, can, it out, I can't I? remember anything. Oh, it's yes. That's all I ever do is go. Oh, uh, yes. I know what you're talking about, but I haven't got a clue. Ah, uh, come on, come on. Order of the Daleks. Order of the Dal. Order. 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 Well, he was in that, and anyway, he he. But he was also in this beautiful kids thriller series called Tightrope that Spencer Banks starred in, and John Savadon basically played Doctor Who in it. Really did, yeah. Doctor Who with a bit of an Avengers flair. Yes. Superb stuff. I mean, very much of its time. Here's an interesting thing. John Savadon was a police officer before going into acting. Was he? Apparently so. Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. But I suppose we should just leave it there, though. Yeah, why not? Although it was an arresting fact. (laughs) I think it says his first film thing here was in robbery where he played a it says here uncredited policeman with dog <laughs> you were policeman I with say dog uncredited policeman I say with a nice dog. dog I say um, what a guy talking of uh, what a guy uh, we've got some great gals and guys uh, reviewing our stuff all the time because uh, of course it is time for the good review guide finding the latest positive comments about Big Finish Productions to help recommend them for you and as promised, this week we're looking at Survivors New Dawn 2. From Big Finish Productions, Survivors New Dawn 2. This is all very lovely around here. Yeah, Lincolnshire's a lovely part of the country. 
someone tried to assassinate me recently. What? Anyone who tries to get at her or you is going to have to come through us. Why does it always feel like there are more divisions, just at the moment when we're all coming together? We're not isolationists. We just want to be able to set our own rules. This is one of those villages where people cleared out after the death, and no one ever moved back in. Oh, you shot him! Put those guns away! Unless you want me to plaster the walls with the brains of the law minister. I can't be involved in this. If I die, it'll all be for nothing. Oh, someone's locked. It's shut. We've been threatened many times by people who knew how to do it. Not so fast. It's a trap. If we die here, then a better future dies too. You'll not escape my zone. You're going nowhere. There's a new age coming. A new world. And it's a world of order, justice, and decency. I'm sorry you didn't make it. Goodbye, my friend. Goodbye. Big finish for the love of stories. Just go to bigfinish.com and type New Dawn 2 into the search pane at the top to find this one. First up, we made this network.com. TD Velasquez says, uh, Big Finish's Survivors has almost never failed to deliver gripping drama, and New Dawn 2 is another definite hit. Like many of the previous box sets, after a relatively quiet start, the tension builds relentlessly, leading to a nail-biting conclusion. It's full of great material for Carolyn Seymour and Lucy Fleming, who, as always, rise to the occasion. The stories are well written, the supporting cast strong, and the sound design and music impeccable. Although it's not a good jumping on point for new listeners, who would be better directed to the previous box set, uh, if you've been following the series up to this point, this box set is thoroughly recommendable. Lovely. Hmm. IndieMatUser.com Ian McArdle says It has been a long journey with Survivors at Big Finish 42 episodes across 10 series But with taut direction from Ken Bentley The stories retain their capacity to shock and deliver hard choices <gasps> Throughout its run the series has never pulled its punches That's <laughs> darn true And the finale of New Dawn is no different Yet it offers hope to Striking op- striking ow, an optimistic tone for the future If you're not experienced Survivors It's not for the faint-hearted, but it's an incredibly rewarding listen and perhaps one of the best things Big Finish has created. I can't recommend... I can't speak or read. (laughs) But aside from that, everything's going fine with this podcast. I can't recommend it enough. I can't recommend it enough is what Ian McArdle says. Thank you, Ian. Um, That's a lovely review and and, um, completely in a biased way, I, I think that's true. Everything you say. Ian, actually. By the way, this review wasn't sent to us by uh, Alfie Shaw, who collates the review. This is someone who I think wrote to Big Finish and said, I've done a great review. <laughs> and I thought, fair, yes. Fair. Well, it's better, better than rising. I've done a terrible review, but, uh, you know, you can. Well, that sort of thing can happen. Sort of, sort of I mean, you know. Um, we've got Rich Cross here from Survivor's Mad Dog website, which yes. is the Survivor's website. Rich Cross as well. Uh, you know, do you live in White Cross, which is where the where they lived in Survivor's? That's a bit rich. It is. Well, do you know, my, <laughs> in my um, my parents' house, the house next door to the one before is called White Cross. And every time I see it, I think, oh, I wish it was called uh, 
Whitecroft. Uh, right, I can't even speak. It's called White Cross. <laughs> this is really fascinating. And I, 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 whatever. I, I always, basically, I just think of survivors when I see that house. That's it. I, and I did actually getting... manage to find the farm on Google Maps where they live. Did you? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Thought it, I'll visit that there? one day. Never. Um, but it is still there. We'll go, Benji. We'll go. We'll go. We'll it's go just there. like Stephen Noonan and I are going to go and have fish and chips at the restaurant that Terence Sticks and Barry Letts always had fish and chips. What a great it closes idea. at 10 in the evening. You're going to get egg on your tie when you go there. A <laughs> uh, little reference to last week's podcast there. Uh, uh, Witchcross says here, The New Dawn series has been compelling, well-executed foray into the future post-pandemic Britain, never before attempted in the Survivor's universe. Big Finish regularly jumps around within and beyond the established canon of the TV series in its range, and that option would remain open in the world of Survivors. Who knows what will come next? If New Dawn 2 marks the end of Survivor's journey on audio, then that will mean an accomplished, inventive and assured series concludes with a remarkable and satisfying end point. Well, the good news is that I'm working on the music for New Dawn 3, so ooh, there's a little bit there more. There we go. I did the sound on one of the episodes as well, so, you know, you've got the dream team here, you know. If yeah, it's bad, although, it's our fault. You know. <laughs> yeah, although it's real, it's not a dream. Um, Tony Filer, um, who's uh, must stop dissemination of Exonite um, no, distribution actually, he says. It's not even that good a word. Yeah, uh, I'll just leave that there. He's writing for WarpFactor.com. I haven't read this, but I know I'm going to enjoy it because Tony is an excellent writer. He gets a good review from me. Survivors is rubbish. What? No. Uh, if you've been at all interested in the Survivor's journey at Big Finish, you need to know how it ends. New Dawn 2 ends in a way that proves the quality of Big Finish stewardship of the properties for which it has a license. Because more than any other iteration of the Survivor's story, it will leave you nodding your head in approval. Benji's doing that now. Like one, like of, one of those little... dashboard <laughs> dogs. I was thinking. Oh, um, yes. Oh, oh, yes. Um, was that's that John not John Savage. Who knows? Moment, yeah. um, if only it was. Um, SciFiBulletin.com, Alastair Stewart says here, it pushes the notion of post-apocalyptic fiction where it needs to be. It gives an elegant sign-off, and for now at least, to, show, to the show and the Miles story is especially good. If you're a fan, you won't be disappointed. Eight out of ten. I think that's a 10 out of 10 review, Alistair, I'm just saying. Yeah, fair And point. finally, on Twitter, our old friend, 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 not fiend, uh, Tim Redoubt once says, Superb, hashtag Survivors, New Dawn 2 from At Big Finish is a triumph. Exceptional writing from LM Mars, Andrew Smith, Roland Moore, and direction from Ken Bentley. And of course, Lucy Fleming and Carolyn Seymour knock it out of the park. Ooh, sublime performances. That's it from the Good Review Guy this week. Next time, we'll be looking at the reviews of the Doctor Who Short Trips Volume 11 and the Ninth Doctor Adventures Old Friends. Very friendly. Thank you. Still to come on the podcast, listeners' emails sent to podcast at bigfinish.com. Our trip behind the scenes with Fifth Doctor Werewolf Adventure, Lugaru. Uh, plus the randomoid selector Tom totally randomly giving you a 25% discount on an audio adventure from out of the blue. Don't miss it. Oh, yes. So close you can feel its fire. <laughs> a Lugaru, I think, is like French for werewolf or something. I think the original title of the 
story was, I don't know whether it was Werewolf, but I remember when it was changed to Lou Guru and someone put Lou their Guru. hand up at a Doctor Who convention to ask Gary Russell, why have you changed the title of that story to Loops Garrox? <laughs> Loops Garrox. Well, that's how it's spelt, you see. That's anyway. Garrox sounds like a great name in science fiction, doesn't it? Oh, you know? it must have been. Used. Like a chemical or something. Yeah. Like, administer the Garrox. Well, so I was reading a storyline the other day with some amazing names. Yeah, Heather and I had to look them up to see, and they were all real surnames. Were I they think really? one of them was Qualtroff. Um, Mr. Qualtroff. I can't remember what the others were, but anyway. Or that's, a very, that's a very David Renwick style surname. It is, isn't it, really? Do you know what I mean? Like, they, I think that it's level. Scottish. Ah. Well, yeah. you learn something new every day at bigfinish.com. Anyway, let's go behind the scenes with the Ice Warriors and Tom Baker. I just now have to do bad impersonations of everything. Uh, in Ice Heist. <laughs> you sounded uncertain. Heist. Heist. Hello, I'm David Richardson. I'm the producer of Doctor Who Ice Heist. Doctor! Hello, Margaret. Do you fancy popping into an art gallery? Casting our minds back, season 11 of the Fourth Doctor Adventures were were four standalone stories um, in which the Fourth Doctor was travelling solo um, and we sort of had one-off companions, one in every story. Um, I remember thinking at the time it might be quite nice if whilst we were making these stories maybe an actor or a character might shine out as 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 a perfect candidate to come back as an ongoing companion. Um, and it just so happened that um, when we recorded The Ravencliff Witch, in which Tom played opposite Nerys Hughes as Margaret, both Nerys and the character of Margaret, we fell in love with. I offer you hope by renowned classical earth artist, Margaret Hopwood. <gasps> what? <laughs> I mean, what? But Margaret... This is why I thought you'd like to come. Hello, I'm Nick Briggs, and I play Shecklier, and also I'm the director of Ice Heist. Margaret, as played by Nerys Hughes, yeah, brilliant. Such an interesting character. It is in the writing because, you know, the character was created back in the, the Ravencliff witch story, and the other writers have picked up on the tone in that. But it's really Nerys who brings it to life and colours it, and she always surprises me with the way she interprets the scene. And she's just such huge fun and has such huge affection for us, which is immediately reciprocated. Hello, my name is Guy Adams. My entire justification for life is being the writer of Ice Heist. What does anyone who attacks this place want? To steal some of the priceless artworks we have? Yes, not the usual ice warrior way. They're an honourable species, albeit conforming to their own sense of what that means. Not common crooks. My first thought, because I'm slightly contrary sometimes, is ice warriors, all about honour. That seems to be where we are with ice warriors now. I'm not entirely sure how much of that was on screen, but that's, 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 where, that's how we think about ice warriors. Uh, and so immediately I thought, I need some dishonourable ice warriors, because... Um, I'm awkward. So that was that was my angle on that, and, and uh, it's not necessarily uh, entirely true uh, of, of the characters here in the story, but that was the, that was the, the direction from which I, uh, I aimed. I'm Nerys Hughes, and I play Margaret, the sculptress. You have met the Doctor, yes? You fought a witch with him in a place called Ravencliff? Well, yes, sort of. <laughs> Terrifying it was, too. I rather enjoyed it, actually, between you and me. 
He's disturbed. Her very quiet life. She lives in a village. She's a sculptress, and she's quite happy on her own. But I think that Doctor Who has swept her into a different, different everything, a different world. And what happened in the first couple I've done, we were already in the adventures, and then I suppose the writers or producers or the powers that be thought, well, we'd better find out where this Margaret came from. Although we knew she was a sculptress, we didn't know her background. And so that's why we're doing this. In this episode, we explain how she came. And you know that she's, she's had one adventure with the Doctor and she's unnerved by him and doesn't know why this very practical woman who's used to being on her own, she can't quite work out why she's so disturbed. And so we find out why in this. Just go to bigfinish.com to find this one. Type New Frontiers into the search pane at the top to find this great fourth Doctor box set. Out on Thursday, the 2nd of March. Remember that date. Meanwhile, it's time for... Listeners' emails. There we go. You don't have to be a, an ice high or a loop garrots to... Uh, <laughs> To, to send in an email but it helps just send yeah, them to podcast at bigfinish.com that's exactly what Aidan did here mm. with the subject Chronicles um, hi there Nick and Benji hi, hi there, there. Uh, just a quick question to clarify the status of the Doctor Chronicles mm. with the announcement of the current ongoing series of the 11th Doctor Chronicles came the joint announcement that Jacob Dudman would be leaving the range <gasps> however Earlier today, it was announced that a new 10th Doctor Chronicles would be coming soon, also featuring Jacob Dubman. Yes, this particular set was recorded back in the days of lockdown, but can we expect any further Chronicles sets in the pipeline to feature Dubman? Has he stepped away from the Chronicles entirely, or solely the role of the 11th Doctor? Some clarification on this front would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, Aidan. So uh, he has stepped away from the range entirely, but there are other things yet to be released. There's a whole load of stuff with the 11th Doctor Chronicles, for example, which Benji has just been in studio recording. Absolutely. Uh, so there are there are other things yet to come. Him stepping away doesn't mean it ends the moment he's said he's stepping away. It just, you know, it'll peter out, basically. Uh, but, but it will be... Uh, there's some incredible adventures to come. Um, really incredible stuff. Absolutely. Brilliant, brilliant work by... Alfie Shaw, the producer and script editor. Uh, this next one is from Mark Ellis. It's called, controversially, Gotten. Oh, dear. What's mm. coming? Okay. Dear Benjamin and Nicholas. We're says, in trouble. We're in trouble. Will you stop banging on with your phrase, hi there? Hi there. You've used it often enough now that I feel justified in shelling you with this email. I've never heard that term, shelling. So. <laughs> So I find it frankly abhorrent that you would repeatedly use such an archaic and disgraceful phrase. Why, might I ask, do you insist always on high there and not low there? Is this not discrimination against those who are more vertically challenged? After all, would low not be a more suitable and historically accurate contraction of hello than the informal and quite frankly disgusting high? And why high there? Must you insist on ignoring those who are in fact right here? 
To which there are you even referring? It's vague, unhelpful and insulting. Just as insulting as the fact that you once released a single audio drama that did not appeal to my personal tastes. How dare you? We, as an audience, are entitled to this very podcast, which is based so strongly on your audience feedback for a company that continues to listen better than anyone else to their customer base. These gift cards are truly a dream, by the way. So the fact that you would be so cruel, in capitals, (laughs) as to repeat the ugly greeting is frankly sickening. We are the audience and we rule you, gentlemen. We own you. Let us complain, always. And don't you dare share your own opinion in return. Incidentally, I love all of Big Finish's work. Except for all the bits that I loathe. So there, codswallop and tripe. (laughs) Yours possibly not altogether sincerely, Mark. This is P.S. As a professional proofreader, I'd always highlight the use of the word gotten in any piece of writing as informal and widely considered to be non-standard English. This is not to say that dialect and personal freedom with language should be done away with. Quite the contrary. Dialect variations should be encouraged and celebrated. <laughs> but I do, but I don't think it's unreasonable that it should stick out to one who works so eruditely with words such as yourself Nick as something of an unusual or incongruous choice of phrasing and you're British of course anything that sticks out to you in such a noticeable fashion deserves to be commented upon even lovingly teased each to their own and all that but personally I think as the youth say these days it's not that deep big BF love thank you great email yeah that's really good low there Low there. Doesn't make sense. Does what? Low there. <laughs> Does sort of sound a bit lazy, does it? You know, low there. Well, there. I mean, this is all, you know, because I was having a, a gripe about Gotten and someone wrote in and said that it was really annoying that I was doing that, which is fair comment, I think. But as I explained last time, and I, I hope I've, I've mended a bridge, that, you know, I wasn't really being that serious about it. But I think Mark there, or oh, low there, in his uh, email um, really... Um, puts it quite nicely and it's just a little bit of lampooning about complaining there um which amused me anyway i'm, I'm sorry if it's upset anyone though well daniel hughes doesn't seem that upset uh <laughs> subject of this one is once and future hi there nick and benji or should i say low low there low there very much looking forward to no, not i'm just making up words here very much looking to once and future and the recently announced guest cast sounds great do you think that is meant to say looking forward or just looking at it? Probably is, yeah. I do have a couple of questions in relation to this. Would Once and Future be classed as one story or an eight-part audio series with a linking narrative? Mm. The last episode is released in November 2024, a whole year affair of a whole year after the 60th anniversary. I was just wondering if there was a reason behind this. Was this accidental or is this intentional? Uh, kind regards, Daniel Hughes from BBC News. He's laughing, of course, because every time I read out Daniel's name, I say Daniel Hughes, BBC News, because it rhymes. I don't know what's the matter That's, with no, me. It's good. Write in and tell me, what's the matter with me? Um, so, uh, interesting answers, uh, or maybe uninteresting answers, I'm not sure. Um, it is. You see, the thing is, is it an eight-part audio series with a linking narrative or is it one story? It's an eight-part audio series with a, such a strong linking narrative that there's a very good case to say that it's all one story. But each chapter of the story is quite distinct, but relies on listening to all of it, I think. So that's not a clear-cut answer for you. 
Sorry about that. Um, the last episode was released on November uh, 2024, a whole year after the 60th anniversary. Uh, yeah, there is a reason for it. You know, we um, uh, constantly are talking to the BBC about, you know, the context of our releases and how they fit with what is and isn't going on in the television series. And for reasons that I can't possibly disclose <laughs> at this point, the BBC felt that... Um, it would be better if we released that one later. That's quite intriguing, isn't it? So you'll have to find out why in November 2024. But uh, yeah, so so that's why we pushed it later. And we've and it is a sort of coda as well. So I think it's quite good that it's later. So there you go. I don't know why. Uh, just then, that reminded me of that. You know when Basil comes out in Waldorf Salad. Yes. And it starts going on this story about why they couldn't, why the chef couldn't get the ingredients. I don't know why that reminded me of that. Just you know, going, and that, of course, led to, the, which is why this, uh, the chef wants me to, I don't know why it did. But I think it must have, you must have said something that was also said there. But I, I, I think I, that's a very astute observation, Benji. I'll, I'll leave it there. That's it this week for the emails. We look forward very much to reading more next week. As regular listeners will be aware, the Randomoid Selectatron is firing up as we speak, preparing to offer you a 25% discount on a randomly selected Big Finish release. Gorgeous value. Gorgeous, uh, we'll gorgeous. be teasing you with the first 15 minutes of the Fourth Doctor Adventure Box set story, Antilia the Lost, out this Thursday, the 2nd of March. Oh yes, that's later. But before that, it's time to give you a sneak preview of Enter Wild Time by Paul Mars, an audiobook reconnecting with the transdimensional escapades of Iris Wildtime, played by Katie Manning, who here reads this excerpt. Enter Wild Time, written by Paul Mars, narrated by Katie Manning. Prologue. The worlds and times visited by the old boiler were usually fully aware of the fact when the begins at home clanked and shuddered into their orbit. The ramshackle ship wasn't known for her subtlety or stealth, but then why should she be? Ordinarily, she had no reason to keep her ungainly green self out of sight. Her crew wasn't given to sneaking up on people, and they had no enemies either, or so they thought. Earth was a different matter. Earth was known for being rather self-absorbed and inwardly focused. When the begins at home heaved herself into the upper reaches of the atmosphere, only a very few human beings were alert to her presence. And most of those were in Darlington, which is a small market town in the north of England. One of these on-the-ball individuals managed to sneak himself aboard the begins at home. This was something he shouldn't have been able to do. Somehow, impossibly, the man with two plastic arms stole aboard the ship and started poking around. The ship's crew was quite unaware that any of this was going on. They were too busy staring at the soapy clouds wreathing the fabulous blue earth and dreaming of all the loot down there. This makes the crew sound rather like pirates, but they weren't, as the man with two plastic arms knew well. These people were simply collecting for charity. Just go to bigfinish.com and type enter wild time into the search pane at the top to find this great audiobook release out on Monday the 27th of February. 
It's probably worth spelling wild time. W-I-L-D-T-H-Y-M-E. You see what he did there. Uh, Time now to go behind the scenes with a classic Big Finish Fifth Doctor release from May 2001, courtesy of the interviewing and editing talents of Kenny Smith. It's Loops Garrox. I mean, Lou Garou. In May 2001, Big Finish had just completed its first season of four Paul McGann stories. So, returned to the adventures of the 5th, 6th and 7th Doctors in the monthly range. And what a return it was to be for Peter Davison, with Mark Strickson at his side as Turlow, of course, in Lougarou, which, for those who don't know, is the French word for werewolves. Uh, my name is Gary Russell, and I was the producer of Lou Guru, which was written by the fabulous Mark Platt and directed by Nicholas Pegg. Hello, I'm, I'm Mark Platt, and I wrote Lou Guru, which is, goes back to something like 2000 or something like that. Yeah, and uh, it was my first outing on Big Finish. So yes, he was one of the very first people I ever spoke to about Big Finish. He came up with wanting to do a werewolf story. I remember saying to him, God, the last thing in the world I want to do is a sort of hammer horror thing. And he went, oh, no, 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 no. This is what I have in mind and outlined it. And of course I said yes instantly. I was at this this famous meeting that was down in in Broccoli in South London um, in the autumn of 1999. And it was a Sunday afternoon and there were all sorts of luminaries there like Mark Gatiss and, and Stephen Moffat and people. And um, basically it was Gary and Nick and, and Jason all, all putting the idea that they were, they were going to set, start doing recordings of stories. And we were all invited to put in ideas for it. And it sort of just went on from there, really. I put in a storyline that was originally actually a storyline I'd sent, sent to the production office at the BBC, um, which was a story called Fenris, um, which was nothing to do with Fenric. Um, well, only partly to do with, well, the same basis, I guess. I, I sent that in in the 1980s, I guess, which was about werewolves on a train and a pack of werewolves which was something I wanted to explore rather than just single werewolves. And um, Gary said yes, and off, off we went. And he, he edited it and yelled at me, and you said you can't do that, and um, first story arrived. Is that meat you have there? Just a dillo I whistled up. Cooked him in his shell. Maybe. Give me some... I've come a long, long way without food. Get your own. Just one morsel for a lonely traveler. Back off, Lobo. Go scavenging someplace else. Oh, but there's a wicked fate that waits for greedy girls. Girls who can't spare a bite for a wandering soul. Just one bite. I said, back away. I know what you are, Lugaru. With Lugaru having begun life as a script for television in the 1980s, how much made it into the 21st century production? Just the train sequence, really. I, th- I think the original, the original 
story that I sent to BBC was a, it was just a two-parter. It was like when they were doing things like Black Orchid and um, Devils, uh, King's Devils, King's Demons, beg your pardon. So that there was all, always a two-part story in the, in the series and I just sort of aimed it at that at that point. So when, when we got to the audio version, I just expanded it a lot around there and you get the final sequence in Rio and everything and the early, more early sequence in Rio as well. With with the sort of central bit in on the train in the middle, and that's how it sort of it just sort of filled out. Really. The reason I love Mark's writing, the reason that Ghostlight is so brilliant, everything for me, everything Mark writes, and, and Luger is a bigger example of this than say Spare Parts, although Spare Parts has elements of this. But at that stage of of Mark's writing, I would say. Everything Mark did was either inspired by I, Claudius or Gormenghast. They seem to be Mark's two, I don't think they're necessarily even a conscious thing, but it was a case of he would always do family stuff. He was very into families um, and he's into dysfunctional families and his families with secrets. And there's always someone who's a little bit misshapen or a little bit weird. And that, I think, really comes from the Gormenghast stuff. And I know that Lungbarrow, I think, is, is very heavily influenced by Gormenghast. And I think a lot of that goes through into Lugru as well. The, the whole setup of uh, her family and, and Victor and the Dr. Hayashi coming in and not being trustworthy. And then Peter Stuber, this fantastic giant wolf man. <laughs> Little girl, your claws need cutting. Stay by your silver path then, but don't stray, because one night I'll be waiting round the next corner and I'll still be hungry. I won't forget. Good night, my Liebchen. <laughs> Ciao, Senor Wolf. I wanted to do this pack of werewolves, um, not, not just one, that's what you normally get, isn't it? And um, it was... Uh, it's very important to me to find the right world for these things and find the right cultures before I can actually write the story. So you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of detail that I have to I have to sort of work out in my own head before these things. I, I mean, virtually everything I write is like that. And um, people people worry sometimes when I'm actually going to write the script because I'm still spending time working out details of things. Um, but I think it goes back to, I mean, it sort of comes from Robert Holmes, who, who's just a hero of mine, always had, had all these details going on, and sort of always refers to other characters and things. And um, I just think that's terribly important to get the world right. Um, world building. Is that what I've become famous for or something? I don't know. <laughs> Notorious for. Hello, I'm Mark Strickson, and I played Turner in Loop Guru. The big Finnish story all about wolves, werewolves. And as, as ever, wolves get a really bad rap. I've worked with wolves. I'm probably the only actor in that programme who's actually worked with wolves. And um, they're wonderful animals. I mean, they're just like big dogs. They're wonderful pack animals and they really care for each other. So that's why I think, you know, wolves get a bad rap. I, I like wolves. At this time, the majority of big Finnish stories were either directed by Gary Russell or Nicholas Briggs. But Gary relinquished the reins on this one to Nicholas Pegg, who had previously been charged with bringing his own script, The Spectre of Lanyon Moor, to life, as well as The Holy Terror. 
I can't tell you why I didn't want to direct it, but I didn't want to direct it. It was absolutely a conscious decision on my part not to direct it. And I have it back of my head, and this may not be true, but I have at the back of my head talking about it to Nick Pegg, possibly when we were doing Spectre of Lonely Moor, and his eyes lighting up at the thought. And me thinking, oh, all right, that really appeals to you. And I wanted Nick to do another one. And also, of course, for Spectre of Lonely Moor, Nick had brought me a, the guest cast to die for. So I thought, well, let's see, mate, what you can do with Lou Garou then. So he brings me Eleanor Bron, Bert Quark, and Nicky Henson, and I'm like, yeah, you can't argue with that, can you really? Oh, you're not eating, Eliana. You never stop. The cut claws are plumper these days. Remember the Grand Duchess Anastasia? And Lord Lucan. <laughs> Skinny as church wafers, but these bones, <laughs> brittle as twigs. What's that rumpus? It's the doctor. He must be down in the city already. Never! What a cast. What an amazing cast. I think Nicky Henson, I think it's a very hard job to play that part. Very easy for an actor to go completely over the top and go, I'm playing a giant werewolf. And and Nicky Henson underplays the whole thing beautifully. And he's this lovely timbre to his voice. And he, and he puts on the sort of Eastern European accent. And it just works. And then you've got Eleanor Bron. Uh, who is just magnificent and, and plays it for all it's worth. And that, I think, is a testament, not just to, to Nick Pegg's directing and casting abilities, but is a testament to, to some, an actor gets a script like Lou Guru and they want to be in it. No one's going to turn around and, and, and say they don't want to do that. I mean, the cast was amazing. You know, um, Nick said, oh, I've been thinking about, about Ileana as a character and, and who should we have? And I, he was thinking of Eleanor Braun. And I said, well, that's exactly who I wrote it for. I, we, I, I like to have a voice in my head. And um, that was it. That was the extraordinary thing, that, that we both picked on the same actress to, to play that part. Then I, I'd, also, I'd also had Nicky Henson in my head. And Nick, Nick just said, yes, absolutely. Went with it. And I didn't really expect that, but we got Nicky. He was absolutely great and um, was just the voice that I had in my head for it. So it was extraordinary. It was a really extraordinary experience, actually. I do remember this one very well. Um, Eleanor Bron is who I really remember because she, I mean, she gives a great performance. But when you walk in, you know, when you walk into that room and you don't know who's going to be there, the big Finnish productions, and Eleanor Bron has extraordinary charisma. But some people have it. Right, and she's got it, and um, and you, you just feel wow, that's Eleanor Bron, you know, <laughs> and it's just it's yeah, it's great to meet famous actors. <laughs> now Eleanor, Eleanor came across as not only as having charisma. Um, um, I'm I'm not desperately posh, right? Um, I'm sort of middle class British, right? You know, didn't go to public school, any of those things. But she is, she's so posh. And um, I can't remember what, because she knew I came from the Midlands. And I always remember she came across to me and she, she said, Mark, do you pronounce Coventry, Coventry or Coventry? I'd never heard it pronounced Coventry in my life. It's Coventry, isn't it? <laughs> I said, well, well, I said, Eleanor, you know, I'm a bit common and I come from the Midlands. So where I come from, they call it Coventry, you know. <laughs> but I said, you know, but I don't say light bulb. I say light bulb, you know. So, you know, I'm, don't, don't, don't take any pronunciations off me. <laughs>
<laughs> the story went into studio on the 9th and 10th of December 2000, and, as he'd done for Ghostlight on television 11 years previously, Mark made sure he was in studio for the recording. I was, I was, they couldn't keep me out, they kept trying to lock the door, <laughs> climb in through windows and things. <laughs> but yes, I was, I was just having an having absolute ball there actually, it was, it was amazing. So what are your main memories of the recording sessions? How everybody, how everybody was really enthusiastic, actually, and it was—I suppose it was one. It was the first time we were actually at Moat Studios as well. It was the first one they'd done, and um, it was sort of slightly nerve-wracking. But everybody was so blooming nice and, and enthused about it. And um, of course, we had, had um, oh my goodness, oh Bert Cork as well there, who who was. Really, he arrived, he was quite nervous, I think, when he first arrived, but he soon settled down and he was great fun and was, was actually correcting me on, on correct things for, for Japanese sales, had I got the words muddled up or something. But um, it, was, it just all worked beautifully. What is this? He's no champion. He's like that foul-tasting boy. He's not even human. I'm the doctor, and I'm offering Ileana my protection. I'm stronger and more worthy than any puny human or wolf. Doctor, before all of us, do you understand the law implicit in your challenge? If I don't make a stand, your endeavors, even your people, may be swept aside by this old and monstrous anachronism. So be it. From now, Doctor, I take you as my champion. What? Now, no, just a minute. And if you prove worthy, and truly faithful, then I'll take you as my husband and rejoice in it! Years before the 21st century revival of Doctor Who brought some romance into her favourite Time Lord's life, Lugaroo gave the Doctor a relationship with Ileana. I wanted to do sort of new things with the Doctor at the time and just sort of explore things like that. And, um... I think it really worked, actually, because it helped that, that Ellen LeBron was so wonderful in that role. Gosh, she's a terrific actress, and um, I just felt it was a real privilege. I was very aware that I, I was quite touched, actually, during, during the recording, that she had obviously sat down and gone right through the script and worked out exactly what everything meant and where it would all go and how she was going to... Actually, she was just going to say the lines, actually, and, and give it, give it, give it the, the weight that it wanted. And I found that extraordinarily moving because she's such a, a wonderful actress and a well-known actress. And I didn't expect that really. It was, it was, it was very exciting. Well, I'd hoped. Um, you, you see, I Ileana. Well, since you and Rosa. Oh, hang on, Doctor. You're jumping to conclusions. Do you mean, I mean, me? Oh, come on, me and Rosa? Well, yes, you see, women, they're not exactly my area, apart from Tegan and Nyssa. But they were friends. I was responsible for them. That wasn't the same. Good friends. And there was Sarah Jane, of course, and Joe, and Romana, both of her, Zoe and Victoria, Dodo and Vicky and Barbara. And Susan? Ah, well, of course, she was my granddaughter. Sometimes I feel very old. But yeah, and Mark Strickson, uh, you know, 
God, he and Peter, as they've done in Phantasmagoria, just work really well together, you know, and it's a very good story for Mark. Solo is so interesting anyway, because he's a bit, you know, he's a bit dodgy and you're not quite sure what he's up to, really. And he can be, you know, he's sort of quite dismissive of the Doctor. And there, there is this, I thought there's this deliberate thing that I did where, where when, when they're at the, um, the carnival at the beginning and the Doctor is sort of almost chatted up by this girl in the crowd, the, well, one of the dancers, who's probably covered in feathers and not a lot else, um, and, and Kurt Turlow is sort of urging him on. He, he goes all awkward and, and is quite cagey about dealing with it because he doesn't, can't quite cope with it, actually. Then later on, you get this relationship with Ileana, and he's be—he's he, much more—he's—he's um, he's very much the gentleman. He's defending her all the time, and, and there, I, I really wanted to do this sort of strange. Um, it was almost like a sort of love triangle between her and Stuber and, and the Doctor, and, and Stuber is very possessive of Ileana, and the Doctor feels necessary to sort of. Um, to defend her, really, and of course you get you get there's the scene where where the doctor asks Turlow about women, <laughs> and of course this is strange strange sort of relationship between Turlow and Rosa Kamen as well, and you're not quite sure how far that goes back. back and I don't think we'd be allowed to do it on television. <laughs> I mean, it's almost as if Turlow has more more experience um, than, than the doctor does. So the doctor comes and asks his, his, his advice, thing which I really liked. It just sort of suddenly presented itself to me and off we went. Lugaru also features a musical track with a difference, a favourite of Turlow's new friend, Rosa. Working on the music for the story was Alistair Locke, who chose to ask regular Big Finish actor Jez Fielder to record the Jaguar Maiden vocal for him, as Jez was a member of a band in his spare time. Jaguar Maiden Jaguar Maiden Jaguar Maiden Hello, I'm Alistair Locke and I'm a composer and sound designer. Oh, what was the theme? Uh, Jaguar Maiden! That's right. So that was, I knew I needed to make up this sort of mad theme so that the, the girl in the story can listen to that. But um, I knew that I could not sing it like that without ruining my throat. I don't know why I knew that Jez could do that, but basically I took my mix of that little theme into the studio and he just sang. And I, and I just said to him, you're the biggest, baddest rock star ever doing this theme to this TV series. And he just absolutely went for it. And I think I, I think I wrote the lyrics for it as well. Really, really bad lyrics. But I, I imagine it was one of these sort of Japanese manga cartoons that she was a big fan of. And that's what she was listening to or watching. Uh, so yeah, just did that for me. <laughs> Once that was out of the way, um, the next challenge was um, the parades, how to recreate these parades. I had a CD of, I bought off Amazon, of, you know, of the, those kind of, you know, 
parade sounds, those Latin drum beats and, and so on and so forth. So I, you know, I could hear how it was meant to sound, but obviously I couldn't use those recordings because they're copyrighted and we'd have to pay, you know, huge sums to clear them. So um, I did have a sample collection of various different ethnic drum styles from around the world. So I just went through all of those and found ones that I thought, well, this sounds like the parade sound. And I layered up a couple of them and then uh, layered some whistling noises, you know, whistles and whatnot over the top. And then gambled that once I'd layered in all the excited crowds, you'd buy that the parade sounds were in amongst the crowds. And I put sort of street echo onto the um, effect, onto the, you know, music that I made up to try and place it in the scene. Um, and I think I got away with it. The maglev, maglev train uh, that they travel on, that was a mixture of real trains where I edited out so that some of the da -dun, da -dun, da -dun, da -dun sounds so that you just got the smooth rail noise. And then I added in um, a vacuum cleaner sort of slowed down and chorused, I think. Yes. So that again, you, you'd had the idea that you're, you're on a train because you, there's enough for you to recognize as all oh, this is a train, but then there are these extra sort of sci-fi tones and hums that all oh, this is a futuristic train, you know, futuristic vacuum cleaner. <laughs> this was the first big finished story recorded at the Moat Studios which would become its home for virtually the next 20 years. But there were problems with the recording on the day, which Alistair had to correct in post-production. My God, those episodes are long episodes. They're all about 35 minutes each. No wonder Alistair was, you know, probably ready to kill. And it was a complicated job because of all the problems he'd had with the mics as well. So that was probably a very, very, very time-consuming and infuriating job. For Alistair because it's a long script and to be fair listening to it I was thinking oh yeah you could you could actually trim this down I think at the time I was probably a little bit too in awe of Mark to, to ask him to trim stuff out but actually you could you could slice quite a lot out of Luguru and I think it would benefit the plots completely that said it's a script that, that breathes really really well and I, yeah, it's, do you know what? It's, it's a, for one of our early plays, it's the first, it's one of the first, I think, that, that has confidence coming out of it. It's a confident play, it's very listenable to, and it's very intelligent, and it's beautifully, beautifully written, fantastic dialogue. I love it, I love working with Mark, I just think he's a wonderful writer. It was just a really happy experience, and, um... I'm still in still in touch with Nick Pegg and everything. We send each other Christmas cards, though he, he hasn't really directed anything for a long time. And, and we just got on so well with it and, and just really enjoyed ourselves. And it was just, it was the opening of something as well. I mean, for me, that, you know, um, it was the first time I'd done anything like that. And, and so, yeah, it was a good start. <laughs> Well, just go to bigfinish.com and type, and I will spell it out, um, L-O-U-P-S-G-A-R-O-U-X into the search pane at the top. 
to find this fright-filled beauty. Yes, I, I would say hyphen rather than dash. Hyphen. <laughs> but I'm a that was in that the neck. Two Ronnie's thing, wasn't it? When he eats the garlic, he says, "Hello there, Harry, Harry Hartington Huntley." But uh, ha, we leave out the hyphen. Uh, <laughs> I find it a great technique is if I turn my head this way and hold my nose. Uh, <laughs> so stupid. Any minute now, we'll be dramatising you with the first 15 minutes of Antilia the Lost, the second adventure in this week's fourth Doctor release, New Frontiers. In the meantime, it's... The Random Odd Selectodron, where we randomly select a big finish release and offer you a 20%... A sip a I've been doing it so well for weeks. A 25... A 25% discount on it. Well, we're here. It's 5.2, Doctor Who, An Ideal World, written oh. by Ian Potter and starring Maureen O'Brien and Peter Purvis. Well, you know, two lovely people. And, oh, yes, I hope to be working with them again before not too long. Here's the trailer. Look, it's Earth. One of those eras with trees. Ah, my dear Vicky, the astral map readings were quite clear. The Earth is trillions of miles from here. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, The Early Adventures, An Ideal World. The Mayflower Programme's goal is to locate and develop planets suitable for colonization in Earth's neighboring systems. With minimal terraforming, it could be fully habitable within 20 years. Doctor, the air. Yes, my dear. I'm afraid the oxygen is thinning. Without suits, there's not enough good air on the surface of T19 to sustain human life longer than an hour. You're a contamination risk, Taylor. Something's coming down. It's going to crash. Negotiate with monsters, Kay. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Dear me. This is an act of war. Only if you resist. Oh, Vicky. Stephen. I'm so sorry. Big finish. We love stories. We welcome you. So this is one of the early adventures. Uh, yeah, great stuff. Got Carolyn Pickles in it as well. Lisa Bauman's in it. Directed by Lisa Bauman as well. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. And each episode has a title because it's the first thought. The past, you say. The Weathermakers, The Life Below, A World in Revolt, uh, and uh, A Fight for the Future. I love those sort of single episode titles. They could be... A, they can be sort of more generalised, can't they? I love that. The thing yes. that happens, yeah. In peril. In, yeah. The something makers. Okay, well, uh, while I email uh, Jackie Emery, content manager at Big Finish, to inform her of our random selection, 
so that she can set the offer live on the bigfinish.com website. Benji, would you like to remind people how to get this incredible 25% discount in the style of a difficult-to-pronounce font? <laughs> There's a good one for you. Will, uh, just uh, go to uh, the uh, uh and head to the podcasts section on the website... Uh, on there, go to Road Moo uh, and enter. Uh, then it says click hire and enter the code um, book up. That's B U C K U P. When you enter the code, you will get 25% discount. There you go. <laughs> that, was a, that, was, that was surprisingly entertaining. It was. It was surprisingly difficult to do as well. And. and uh, it was sort of like a rubbish officer crabtree um, from a lower low. Oh um, yeah, that's what that's what it was reminding me of. Yeah, um, just not as witty. Thank, thanks, Ran. Nice one. Really yeah. nice. Mm. Uh, next week's podcast features, among other things, International Women's Day, uh, ahead of International Women's Day, which I think is on the 8th, isn't it? But the podcast is out on the 5th. So, um, uh, With producer, director, writer, actor Helen Goldwyn chatting with writer, director, actor Louise Jameson, two of my very favourite people all sorts of other stuff as well brilliant thanks again to you all for listening the big finish podcast is presented by me benji clifford and him nick briggs nick also wrote produced and edited it and both benji and i did this for the love of stories And finally, on the Big Finish podcast, The Fourth Doctor Adventures, New Frontiers, Antilia the Lost by Phil Mulrine. I used to carve markings along the corridors as a guide. The doctor did not like it. No, I imagine not. Were you serious when you said he doesn't know where we're going? When you have travelled with the doctor for a time, you realise such questions are pointless. Well, he either knows or he doesn't. It is hard to tell. He either knows but does not say, or he does not know but talks about it for a long time anyway. I see. Can I feel my ears burning? Burning? You have had an accident? Uh, perhaps. You see, I'm afraid I can't find it. Find what? I, well, I had a look while you were showing Margaret to her room and someone's moved it. Moved what? What do you mean, moved what? The art gallery. Since the last one was a bit of a washout, I was hoping to show you mine. An art gallery? Hmm. Just a few thousand pieces I picked up here and there. Draconian fire tapestries, <gasps> a few terileptil sculptors, <gasps> a couple of da Vinci's. A couple of... Yes, Good old Leonardo. <gasps> Very accommodating. Michelangelo, on the other hand. He sometimes spends hours looking at these artifacts. Use a mirror to see your face, but works of art to see your soul. Bernard Shaw said that, the garrulous old fool. And sorry, someone's moved this art gallery? I have touched nothing. Uh, but otherwise, everything appears in good order. How, how are you finding the TARDIS, Margaret? Oh, very smooth. Smooth? 
Oh, well, yes, now you mentioned it is very smooth, considering we're hurtling through the time vortex. But I was wondering... Yes? ...where exactly we're going. Ah. Don't you like a little mystery, Margaret? In our era of science and reason, exploration and explanation, is there still mystery in the universe? Stim drink, max strength. Ten days ago, I squeezed aboard this cramped experimental vessel, the Blade. The crafts designer, Dr. Vance, has but one obsession. Solving the mystery of Antilia. Antilia. The very name evokes the inexplicable. Some say it was a place of wondrous scientific advancement. Some say a remote staging post for intergalactic flight. What's certain is that over 50 years ago, it disappeared. No star chart now marks it. And while some claim to have caught mysterious sightings, offering blurry holographic images as proof, the really big question is whether this ridiculous wild goose chase will totally destroy my journalistic credibility. Ah, may I strongly request you don't use that last bit? Krask, how long have you been there? Long enough to hear you call the Empyrean Corporation ridiculous. I wasn't calling the Corporation ridiculous. No? When we're the ones paying for this wild goose chase. The Empyrean Corporation may be ruthless, grasping, acquisitive, cutthroat, predatory and avaricious, but it's never ridiculous. (laughs) You have a way with words, Miss Markway. Oh, the stim drinks on board this crate are foul. Indeed. Would you like one? Mr. Krask, sir. Ah, your guard dog. Yes, Brett? Dr. Vance says we've arrived. He requests everyone on the bridge immediately. Excellent. You climb back up. I'll follow. Sir. Miss Markway? Yes. Coming. (sighs) Ah, Brett, good. Squeeze in, squeeze in. And Mr. Krask, very good. Dr. Vance. And where's our esteemed colleague from the Galactic Press? Here. Ah. Wondering why you couldn't build a bigger ship, Dr. Vance. Perhaps with a staircase. Well, I'd explain the physics, Miss Marquay, but we might be here some time. So what's all this about? I mean, I can't see anything out there. Nevertheless, this is the region of space where Antilia once was. But it's not now. So can we all go home and get a decent tasting drink? Oh, now is the moment the blade comes into its own. I'm cranking up its subspace engine as we speak. And we, happy few, are about to rescue Antilia from the mists of myth that wreathe around it. Best leave the purple pose to me, Dr. Vance. I'd better turn this on, then. Actually, could you say that last bit again? Uh, what? Rescuing Antilia from myth, we happy few, all that. Uh, later. Oh. <laughs> Are you sure this is safe, Dr. Vance? It better be. It cost enough to develop. Everyone strap in, please. All right, I'm engaging the drive, and here we go! Dr. Vance! 
Is this supposed to happen? We're entering subspace now! The universe has given up so many of its mysteries, Margaret, but we carry on hoping, searching for the strange and the wonderful, the extraordinary, the unimaginable. You see? All this talk. He does not know where we are going. Ha! Ha! That's where you're wrong, Leela. Of course I know. Where then? Nowhere. Huh? Nowhere? Nowhere at present. <sighs> We're in a simple holding pattern round the vortex. <laughs> giving the interstitial dimension buffers a thorough workout. We're swirling round some kind of vortex. Oh, we're perfectly safe. No danger, no drama. Oh! 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 Doctor! <laughs> What's happening? A subspace wave. It's swapping the TARDIS, dragging us under. Hold on! Vance. Is everyone all right? I've had smoother flights. Well, I I think we've made it. Made it where? Cut through to a parallel space-time. Sunlight. Vance, there's sunlight out there. And look below. It was empty space. A second ago, it was empty space. Some kind of huge complex. Glass buildings. A tower. We are in the skies above Antilia. We must be. What's that? It's a vault alarm. We're losing altitude. What? The subspace engine. Something's blown. It's taken out the normal boosters. You're saying we're going to crash into wherever this place is? Look there. A landing bay. Yes, yes. I, I'll aim for it. Now everyone hold on. It doesn't make sense. What does not? What are these readings? The old girl saying up, down, down, up and inside out. You mean you can't plan this thing? I would not ask such questions. You might not like the answer. Perhaps if I encourage the temporal spatial dislocation bearing. Encourage them? Yes, like with any oh. great machine. Flying the TARDIS is as much persuasion as control. Oh, well done, old girl. Oh, we have landed? Oh, yes, now. Let's oh. see where. Ah, oh. What is it now? Uh, nothing. You mean... We're still nowhere? No, no, no. We were nowhere, but now we've reached nothing. I'm sorry. Well, it's not your fault. The instruments are still distorting. Look at the scanner. Nothing. I was right. We never know where we are going. You're saying you have no idea where we are in all of time and space? Well, we can always pop outside, see the sights. Oh, go outside. Is that safe? Oh, Usually not. probably. Uh, come in. That's it. Uh, now, everyone out. Uh, Miss Markway, take take my hand. <coughs> Thanks. <coughs> Hold on to me, sir. <coughs> I'm fine, Brett. I'll lower you. Oh, very well. Right. I'm there. And... <coughs> well done. All made it. Now, the centre of the complex looked like it was in that direction, so I think we should... <coughs> Your ship nearly killed Mr. Krask and the rest of us. Put him down, Brett. Brett! I'm sure the ship can be repaired, Dr. Vance. I, yes, I, I'm sure it can. I'll just need the, uh, 
the smoke to clear before I, I, I can properly look. Then in the meantime, let's try and establish where we really are. That tower is the best landmark. We'll head for that. What have we here? Doctor? Mm, fair amount of oxygen, 21.2%. That is good. Oh, that's very good. Ah. So, what's the verdict? There is oxygen. Oh, good. 21.2%. <gasps> it's a forest. Oh, so it is. <laughs> I wonder. Doctor? Where is he going now? He will explore. It is what we do. Are you coming? Well, I suppose I am then. Wide roads, pristine buildings, fresh sunlight, and all totally deserted. Nothing from the spectrometer. And the bioscanner? No, everything's distorting. My recorder's the same. I mean, how am I supposed to document all this? Use your memory. <laughs> oh, my laser still works. Brett, perhaps that isn't the best way of saying we mean you no harm. Sorry, sir. Although I'm not quite sure who we'd be saying that to. She has a point, Grask. You don't need a bioscanner to see that no one's here. Without instruments, we can't be sure. All the systems here appear to be functioning. Lights on in the building. And look there. Automated repair drone. Oh! Is that an info terminal? Excellent! Now, how do I... Welcome to Antilia. Antilia! Then it's true! We really found it! Please access menu for further information. A mist-wreathed forest. Is this mysterious enough for you, Doctor? Perhaps, especially as I'm not sure that this forest really is a forest. Oh, so you've moved from mystery to the mystical now. Well, can't you smell it? In the mist, the wood. Smell what? Yes, synthetic. Doctor, did you hear it that time? Just the trees creaking, Lena? The trees that might not be trees. Exactly. Come on, this way, I think. I smell nothing unusual. But I do know when I am being followed. Ah, a clearing. Yes, rather lovely. It must be for maintenance access. Maintenance? Doctor, what is it? What are you looking for? Here, under the soil, look. A cable? Mm, an Astrax multicore, to be precise. Oh, one of those. Very thin, very light, very flexible, see? Highly superconductive. Can take vast voltages. Oh, right, but what's it doing in a forest? Well, the trees can hardly run without power now, can they? Trees run on electricity? Of course. Here. Yes. You see, the cable runs to this tree stump in the middle, so there must be... Aha! Electronics in the stump? Yeah. A monitoring station checking the tree's oxygen production. 
They're carbon dioxide scrubbing. Rooting power to them as necessary. So these trees, they're, they're, they're man-made? Well, something made them. Let's not be exclusive. My guess is that the whole biosphere above us is artificial. But I can see the sun up there. Well, you can see a powerful light source. Triumph of geodesign. Leela, remember when we... S Leela, where's Leela? Interactive map of Antilia. Displaying. It's impossible. It's a massive space station. You mean we're not on a planet? Antilia's manufactured. Look, docking ports for Starliners on the underside stand there. On the top, this huge biodome with the work and living complex. A lake and round... And forest on the outside. Incredible. Central data repository there, viewing tower here... But why build something like this? Out here in the middle of deep space? Well, let's see. Ah. Antilia, an introduction. Now displaying. Antilia, a wonder of inspired engineering. Constructed as a visionary space island, Antilia serves as a deep spaceport besides hosting state-of-the-art laboratories for special scientific experimentation. Experimentation? Interesting. But none of this will answer the big question. Which is, what happened to it? How did Antilia disappear? And where did all the people go? Look! The viewing tower's just there! Let's get a proper look! Strangers. Well, well, of course I see them, like those in the forest. But from where? That that tiny craft? It all but crashed. And what do they want? The work cannot be interrupted. Of course it won't be. Uh, time to next uh, attempt at stabilization. T minus twenty-five. Good, good. It progresses. None of them will get in the way. Yes. We will stop them. We will escape. Big finish for the love of stories.